Hello, you're welcome to If I Were the Minister for Education from OnShot.net. Part 2 of Poetry Reading Critical Analysis of Supports for Pupils with Additional Educational Needs and Their School Leaders in Irish Primary Schools. Hello, hello, you're very welcome to the second part of this live poetry reading of the National Principles Forum report around special educational needs or additional educational needs and school leaders. Um, Part one of this podcast can be found um, on this, on whatever channel you're listening to. And if you do want to listen to it, basically what it covers is a little bit of background to the report, a few comments from myself about the the report and maybe some uh, comments about why it's there and why it's so important and a kind of an introduction to it. In this uh, part we are going to look at the actual nine recommendations that the National Principals Forum have made based on this survey of over 500 school leaders and uh, without further ado let's get stuck in. If you have missed the first part of this uh, uh, episode or poetry reading or whatever you want to call it, um, I would uh, suggest if you know nothing about special education provision in primary schools in Ireland that you do have a listen to it because it'll give you a little bit of background and even if you do it might be worth uh, half an hour of your life just to give a bit of a context to the National Principles Forum report um, because in this episode uh, I'm going to be going through nine recommendations uh, that they've made um, to the government, to the NCSC and to stakeholders and everyone else around how to improve uh, conditions for children with additional needs and to the school leaders who are seeking the best they can for the children in their school. Um, I'm going to get stuck in really uh, to the recommendations. So uh, as I said, if you haven't listened to the introduction, uh, first half of this podcast episode, it might be worth your while. Um, but um Failing that, uh, you can uh, have a have a listen to our the first recommendation, which I suppose would not be a very surprising uh, recommendation for anyone who knows anything about um, special education in Ireland. It's increase uh, special education teacher allocations to meet the needs of additional educational needs provision. So basically, um, I suppose the report really goes into a bit of background about this, and it's. Um, like like everything in Ireland, you have to look in the past to find out why why do we do things around here the way we do them. And, you know, there's a lot of principals who've probably come into the fold um, recently enough and probably think what's happening right now is normal. Things are not normal at all in terms of special education provision uh, in Ireland. It's it's, it's amazing what life used to be like. I always t- say in my uh, podcast what I used to have to do in, able to, uh, in order to get an SNA for a child who needed it. Um, and it was a matter of a phone call, a visit, an argument maybe, and then you'd get the SNA. Nowadays, it's, 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 it takes months of bureaucracy and, and, not, and you don't even get to have an argument with anyone now because even the person you used to have an argument with, the Asino, has no power anymore. They just make recommendations and they're generally ignored. It's some invisible bureaucrat that lets you know about your allocation. But apart from SNAs, special education teaching, the, the model changed in 2017. And prior to 2017, and now I move to the report, pupils with additional education needs were granted individual allocations of resource time, as it was called. So that was hours per week relevant to their diagnosis. So if you had a diagnosis of autism, Back uh, before the recession, you, you that child would come with five hours of resource teaching. And basically, you know, you'd have a number of children in your school and for every 25 hours you had, you would you would get a support teacher for that. So a, a child with autism or an autistic child, depending on uh, what... Uh, uh, the, the preference of what they, they wish to be called these days at the moment um, the, um, depending on who you're speaking to I know uh, uh, as I am uh, prefer the term autistic child and others uh, prefer a child with autism so uh, child first label second but uh, anyway uh, I'll use them interchangeably uh, at the moment uh, and please forgive me if uh, I'm using the wrong term uh, for, for, for yourself um, and uh, it, it is done without malice um, but basically um, um, sorry, just getting uh, onto the point that if you had a diagnosis of autism, that came with five hours a week of support. Um, and uh, back in 2011, 2012, I think it was, they were uh, all resource hours were cut by 
15%. So a child uh, with a diagnosis of autism would have received only 4.25 hours uh, of support. Uh, Down, uh, Down syndrome went from three and a half to two and a half um, and various other, um, you know, sort of diagnoses came with particular hours. Um, some some controversially, and it was fairly arbitrary to be perfectly honest. Jeez, I'm not saying it was a good model, but you it, the, the, the thing that was different here, the thing that was interesting about this was the resources followed the child. Now, in 2017, things changed, okay? Um, the, you know, and, uh, I, I, you know, basically, sorry, just to come back to that, if a child with resource hours left your school, their hours followed them. That was another uh, another point. So the support time was safeguarded and, and it basically met the need for the pupils with the diagnosis, but offered no further support to children awaiting assessment or to school. So it wasn't perfect, um, but effectively, you know, it was a system. The cut of 15% um, never was reversed, uh, despite after the recession. So children were working off a 15% deficit uh, from this. And it, and it just really wasn't enough. It wasn't enough anyway. Then it was cut by 15%. So it was 15% less than not good enough. And then in 2017, going back to the report, the Department of Education introduced a new system for allocation of additional teaching hours to support children with um, additional educational needs. Which, um, And the move was touted as a huge positive by the people inventing it, obviously, ensuring that all children would receive support even without an official diagnosis or an official report. Uh, greater scope and autonomy was given to schools to decide how to allocate their set time. And of course, with autonomy came responsibility, basically leaving schools with the with an unenviable task, as they say in this report, of choosing which pupils to prioritise because there wasn't enough hours for the children that required it. This, the new system was a merging of uh, basically the resource hours and the learning support hours. And schools were basically profiled uh, for new allocation of set hours by the NCSE using various metrics. Okay, so they came up with a formula to give schools a set number of set hours. Um, and this is quite controversial, in my opinion, uh, because what it did was it stopped following the child and it gave schools basically, here's a number of hours. I don't care if you get new enrollments into your school with uh, children with additional needs um, and vice versa. I suppose we don't care if they if you if you lose children with additional needs, but more about that in a minute. Uh, we don't care if um, a child in your school gets a diagnosis. They're your hours and you do what you want with them. And uh, and in a way, while that might sound good, when those hours aren't enough to um, help the children that you have, when you what it does is when you get more children uh, coming into the school, it, it can it can tempt schools to basically be unwelcoming to children with additional needs. Potentially, I'm not saying that happens, but there's risks when you give this level uh, of autonomy without providing the adequate resources. But basically, uh, going back to the report, I'm going to say that a lot because I keep coming out of it. Um, you know, many schools were left with this two-year fixed allocation of set time, which didn't meet the needs of pupils with additional educational needs. And effectively, uh, the National Principal Forum always talk about this, this loaves and fishes style provision was born. You basically tried to give as much as you could with the with the lack of hours. So you were basically thinning out as much as you could um, the, the resources that were available to you and children lost out. And instead of the system being more equitable, which it was uh, heralded as, it was inadequately resourced and pupils with an official diagnosis were no longer given automatic uh, access to resource or learning support hours, which are now called set hours, but instead they had their allegation reduced. Um, the greatest needs uh, are prioritised in the school overall, but how many pupils were neither getting what they needed nor what they would have been entitled to under the old model? Now, the National Principals Forum um, had a previous uh, report um, to this particular report called the Inclusion Illusion uh, back in 2019 and 88.5% of school leaders reported they had inadequate set time back then and not only that they claimed they had fewer supports for their uh, children with additional educational needs in 2019 than they had in 2012. Now to me that's really really interesting. So in 2019 despite this new model Almost 90% of principals reported they had more resources for additional needs in 2012 under the old model. 
than they did in 2019. Very interesting. And um, these, I would say, were, while the Department of Education are basically calling these, you know, they keep saying, oh, we pump in all this money and every year we increase the funding and everything else. These are stealth cuts. And they were first introduced in 2012. Um, and um, the report goes on to say they continue to creep into our system under the guise of new initiatives. And despite statements from ministers and advocacy groups in recent months about being on the side of pupils with special education needs, none have actually proposed reversing the 15% cut that was made in 2012. And the National Principles Forum doesn't envisage that the front-loading model will be any different to reversing that 15% deficit at the very least. Now, while an appeals mechanism exists for uh, special education uh, allocations, it is designed, it's actually designed for most schools to fail in their application. Um, now, that might sound me being kind of sceptical, but actually it is, it, it is literally designed so that you would fail to get, um, to, to, to succeed in your application. Um, and, and the reason for that, I'll explain what it is. You, you, you're given an allocation. It's based on this algorithm with five different criteria. I can't remember all five of the criteria, but you're given basically a, a number. Now, one of those criteria is basically a base allocation, which is for every hundred children you have in your school, you get one set teacher. And then there's four other uh, allocations, four other uh, you know criteria that add on to that. So in my case, I have uh, 300 and let's say I had 350 children. Roughly, when this was done, actually a bit less than that. And because of our you know our dash status, because of the number of children uh, with additional needs because of all, blah, 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 all the rest of it, we, we would have received, um, I think, roughly seven um, set posts. Now, our base allocation, because we had th just around 300 children, would have been three. Now, even though we are growing, we're a developing school, we have a lot of... Um, a lot more children in our school than when the allocation was made in 2017. And even though um, there's been a, a huge increase of children uh, coming to um, our school and all schools uh, with additional needs, our appeal w would fall at the first hurdle because we have more than three set teachers. We can't appeal because the set allocation appeal only, uh, regard, only goes forward if you have uh, basically le um, less than 100 to 1 uh, ratio of set teacher to, uh, to pupil, sorry, pupil to set teacher. So it's no wonder that only 8% of school leaders um, uh, basically said that they succeeded in additional hours being allocated. Now, uh, I would love to delve more deeply into that 8% of appeals because that would also include developing schools who do increase their hours. If they get a developing post, they get an extra three hours of support. It doesn't really matter how many children in that in that cohort have additional needs. You just get three hours arbitrarily, um, which is very, very interesting. But I mean, I'm just reading one of the comments from the survey. A lot of paperwork was involved in the process of making an appeal, but ended up with no additional hours. So I mean, effectively, that was just time and time again, this, this is kind of going on. So 84.5% of schools surveyed saw an increase in pupils with additional education needs in the first in the past four years, um, which uh, kind of correlates the, to, to uh, how people feel, the anecdotal evidence that we don't have enough resources, that we feel there's been cuts when the government are rightly saying they're pumping more money in. But the, the, um, the number of children coming into the system is not uh, the same as the number of children, uh, sorry, as the number, the, the number of resources coming into the system. So there's a deficit of resources coming in um, for the needs that are coming in. 72% of schools then feel that their current set allocation meets the needs, sorry, um, only 70 feel that their current uh, meets the needs uh, of the, doesn't meet the needs, sorry, uh, of uh, AEM in their schools. So um, 27%, 28%, feel that their, uh, that their needs are being looked after adequately. So only one in four schools would believe that. Um, it's also important to note that it's been a steady rise of enrolments of children with additional education. So I've tackled that. Um, and it hasn't been compensated by the increase in SET or SNA supports from uh, the NCSE or Department of Education. So, you know, the, the fact of the matter is, is all the spin that's coming around from the political circles about their increases in the total number of SNAs and the increase of the overall education budget, while there are indeed increases in budget, they don't correspond to the increases in needs. And that's really, really important. So, I mean, effectively, you know, the reason w uh, recommendation one is about increasing the needs, I suppose it's not just arbitrarily saying, come on, just give us the needs. Number one, I would suggest, uh, and this is me coming in now, is that 15% deficit needs to be uh, reversed immediately. So every single school in this country needs to have their allocation increased by 15% now.
that's a minimum because that would bring us back to 2012 levels and that and and i'd say as a bare minimum that's what should happen but secondly we have to get rid of this um ridiculous model where it's schools based based on an algorithm it's based on an algorithm rather than the children now the previous model where uh, was what flawed as it was had the right intentions the resources followed the child and my suggestion i've said this in previous podcasts was that neps need to be the ones who make these decisions not saying we need to i mean i think we need to scrap the ncse completely and replace it with a better neps service and um, because what neps would do is they would say this child here requires this uh, these these resources and um and basically those resources need to come in simple as that and there should be no messing around in terms of uh, in terms of anything else and you know there obviously there's a few uh, you know this it, uh, my my suggestion is quite simplistic but i mean it, it that's where it should start that's really where it should start. So that's recommendation number one. How did I do? 16 minutes. Oh my goodness. Okay, let's see how I do. Recommendation number two. Recognise the workload involved in the management of additional education needs by school leaders. Look, I'm going to summarise this one quite quickly because I, I don't think this. Uh, I don't think it needs to, to um, take, take a huge amount. Basically, if you're a principal of a school, you are, and I don't want to get fixated on pay, but I just want to mention it initially. If you're a principal, um, you are paid your um, allowance as a principal based on the number of teachers in the school that you manage. You are not given any um, allocation or any uh, financial compensation for managing SNAs, bus escorts, nurses, or anybody else at all. In the, uh, um, anybody else at all. Now, when you are have. Uh, 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 when you have special classes in your school or when you have, even if you don't, uh, you're generally probably managing a number of SNAs. If you're a special school, you probably have maybe, you could have five teachers and 30 SNAs. You only get paid for the five teachers. So this is very, very interesting and, and it's, it's worth a, a bit of background on this. The same, um, uh, on top of that, the, the role, the workload involved in managing additional educational needs is huge. And we we uh, asked principals how many hours it took for uh, it took out of their week and the average was 6.8 hours per week on top of regular hours so nearly 7 hours extra on top of regular hours now if you're a teaching principal if you're a teaching principal that's 7 hours on top of your teaching duties and your principal duties uh, and that's a huge amount of work and um, it's worth noting that uh, one in uh, sorry, is it one thirteen and a half percent? So one, just over one in eight uh, of uh, principals uh, said that they spent more than fifteen hours a week on working uh, on managing additional educational needs. Um, now, each school has a unique profile, so therefore the allocation of special needs assistance is determined by the needs in the school. Um, and the majority of schools that in our survey had at least one SNA. However, in the case of special schools there's huge proportion a high proportion of SNAs employed and it brings added responsibility from a managing perspective so um it, i mean these are just things to 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 note um special classes can actually double the staff of a small school overnight um just to give an example that somebody gave in uh, there was a principal managing and teaching in a school with four mainstream classes two set positions two special classes and is renew and she said she was remunerated to manage um themselves and three other teachers and in the reality was so she's gets basically paid for managing three teachers and in reality the principal manages eight teachers nine snas multiple bus escorts and usually a part-time secretary and caretaker a total of 20 plus staff and that's on top of full teaching duties and regular day-to-day management of the school so an absolutely crazy amount just to put more context onto it and um, special schools have an average of 22 and a half snas none of which the principal gets paid for uh, for managing uh, mainstream schools Schools with special classes have nine SNAs on average, and uh, mainstream schools with no special classes have three and a half SNAs on average. So you can see the amount of management that needs to be taken on. Um, it, and um, just it's just very, very interesting. Um, it's not just monetary compensation school leaders require for their management. There's also needs to be a change to the criteria for the threshold for when teaching principals become administrative principals. Uh, so basically, they, they believe that uh, if you have... Um, that that you that basically this has to be based on all members of staff, not just mainstream teachers and Romans. And any school with special classes must have an administrative principal. And that was uh, the recommendation of the uh, National Principals Forum. From my own uh, from my own perspective, um, I uh, would absolutely agree with all that. The monetary sort of thing is is sort of it's it's the big story and all that kind of stuff. But it's just it's more than that. And um, you know you can see it. 
in terms of um, manager, special education is, is a huge area in schools now, every school. And with the post of responsibility still at, you know, at just over 50% of where they were before the recession. Um, and the, 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 the joke of, um, of, the, of the new uh, positions being offered, uh, being, being given uh, this week, I mean, 8% uh, of schools benefit from this. Um, the joke of, um, uh, of, of, of still the uh, uh, post responsibility um, not, um, not being brought back to the way they were, particularly in light of the fact of, over, uh, of workload for principals, is shocking. There needs to be a post specifically in every school for additional educational needs. It's, it's, it's beyond time that that happens. And, uh, and uh, I would say that's uh, another area that needs to be put in place. Uh, record, I told you I'd be a bit quicker on that one. Only four minutes on that one. Uh, let's go to number three. Put in place safeguards to prioritise the health of principals. We always ask, as a National Principals Forum, um, a kind of a, a, a question about how their, uh, whether their mental health and their physical health has been harmed as a direct result of their job. And consistently, we receive the same answer uh, since we started. Um, and that is about 70% of school principals have stated that they have had mental health issues as a direct result of their job. Now, this um, this week, um, doctors uh, um, Yolanta uh, Burke and Magella Dempsey did a did a Maynooth uh, University uh, study on principals' well being, and their uh, response as well, which is kind of nice to to see, uh, because it was an academic survey, let's say, and with all their their result was seventy percent of principals have reported high levels of stress in their job, correlating exactly with the National Principals Forum findings that, uh, let's face it, uh, certain members, in fact, that basically the IPPN and INTO have been ignoring and I will say scoffed at. Our results um, have been, um, correlate directly with the results of uh, the various studies that are done by universities, the various the small surveys that are done. And the reason for that is because uh, the National Principals Forum talk to the people on the ground in much the same way as the academic people sent the survey out to the people on the ground. And what do you know, we got the same results. So where am I going in this report? Well, the National Principals Forum basically have said that principals have faced increased chronic pressure directly as a result of their role. And they give some examples. Uncertainty of SNA allocations. It is May and we still don't know our SNA allocations. Incre uh, increased administration duties, as we know. Uncertainty about the NCSE front-loading model. We still don't know. Today, I'm recording this after Theresa Giffen gave her speech at the IPPN conference. Today, Friday, uh, the, what are we, about the 8th of May, is it? Or something similar, 7th of May. Uh, she, didn't, she didn't tell us. Um, so again, we don't know what's going on. It's a really, really scary model coming down the road, as we'll uh, I'll talk about in a bit. Leading schools through a global pandemic was a huge stress for principals. I did not get a single day off from March uh, to uh, basically October. Um, I worked every single day uh, from that time. And some days I was putting in, in quite a number of days, particularly in August, I was putting in 13, 14 hour shifts. It was intense and not only that from then uh, I'm on call 24-7 since September thanks to the INTO and, and, and I would say um, the IPN just it's suggesting that as an, uh, uh, to the Department of Education as a good idea uh, for COVID cases. Anyhow, uh, I carry on. More examples. Two lockdowns, a substitute teacher crisis, worsening communication with the Department of Education and that, that was uh, also echoed in the uh, study in, from Maynooth. And it's led to further erosion of personal rest time, which we are getting uh, less and less of. The COVID-19 pandemic has presented challenges to all professions and principals are no different. And it's increasingly obvious that from the National Principals Forum research, the principals' health and well-being are being seriously impacted as a result of each passing year. Now, um, it's interesting to note, uh, you know, that on top of finding out, you know, that their mental health is 70% have stated that's been affected, their physical health also has been uh, affected, with 58% of principals saying as a direct result of their job, this is what's, uh, that, that, that their physical health has suffered, which is really, really scary as well, um, which is, um, so basically, I suppose, I, I don't go, uh, go 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 too much. Something has to happen essentially, um, and you know, 
we, we have two studies now this week about the health and well-being of principals and we have received absolutely no assurances from anyone that uh, anything's going to change. Today, as I said, is the I'm recording this on the day of the IPPN conference. Uh, it's all about sustainability of school leadership and a focus on our health and well-being. And to be honest with you, from what I'm gathering, nothing is coming out to make uh, any principals uh, stress levels feel any better. There's certainly an acknowledgement of it, and I, I would I welcome that there's an acknowledgement, but acknowledgement without any action is um, is no good to anybody. And I, I suppose there's the recommendation from the MPF I would echo, um, we need to do something before it's too late. As they said, on the 30th of April, when, they were, when this report was written, there were 38 principal and 11 deputy principal positions advertised on education posts alone. That is a huge number. It may not sound like a large number, but taken into context, it's more than um, it's more than one percent of uh, principals quitting their jobs, um, and that figure growing a lot. Recommendation number four: set allocations to be organised centrally by the Department of Education. This is an interesting kind of niche kind of question because it was basically ba- it's based on one kind of thing. The set allocations at the moment are are based on this algorithm. I I, I, I spoke about that a little earlier, where you're given a certain allocation of, of hours, and uh, you for every twenty five hours you get a set position. Now you would think when they're creating this algorithm that you would get um you know an allocation of you know something like twenty five. 50, 75, you know, to be rounded up to that. No, no, no. Well, you, you know, they, they, they wouldn't do that. So then you say, okay, fair enough. Well, maybe they would say, okay, fair enough. You can't round it to the nearest post or round it up or round it down because uh, 25 hours is a lot of hours. Maybe, you know, in quarter posts, let's say, you know, that, that might sound right. So you might get 25 and a quarter, 25 and a half, 25 and three quarters. So you could kind of then link with other schools. So if you had, you know, I don't know, 25, uh, let's say 40 hours uh, in one school and you 10 hours in another school then you might combine two 25 hour posts or something like that 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 might make sense no most schools are getting things like you know 48.91 posts or or 20, 227.02 posts and the job of uh, uh, the job then is to cluster 25 hour posts and who do you think has to cluster them together only principals and uh, this has become known as the Cluster Games, um, which um, I- which is you know kind of a play on the Hunger Games, where it's basically dog eat dog, where principals basically will do whatever it takes to reach their twenty five hours. They will screw over anyone else to get what they need, um, where they fight to make up clusters as quickly as possible uh, in order to uh, for this perception that they're saving one of their teachers, which they aren't actually. And the, basically, this. Um, this means that um, you have ridiculous combinations of, 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 of clusters happening. Um, now, I was involved with a, a fantastic teacher and uh, he and I, uh, well, I mean, when I say he and I, he, uh, I, <laughs> I merely, uh, merely uh, helped a, a little bit, created a system which automatically uh, created a system which uh, basically found you your best cluster option. But, um, you know, uh, anyway, that, that aside, uh, we um, looked at um, the National Principals Forum basically asked principals, would you prefer um, the Department of Education to cluster your posts and basically say, look, you have this number of posts, but you're clustered with this school and you've got your post and you're sharing that post? Or would you, uh, would you, do you want to do it yourselves, cluster up amongst yourselves kind of thing? And um, effectively, 65, 66%, two out of three principals, believe the Department of Education should organise the clustering of set allocations. Now, I would be one of those 66%, so I'm obviously biased. There is a, a large minority um, who um, basically um, don't think, uh, don't believe it, but it's not, but 10% of those uh, have no opinion on the matter. They don't mind. 25, so one in four schools do like organizing themselves so there isn't a consensus particularly if this was just a straight vote i suppose it would be um it would be easy enough i just don't understand why schools would want to create this additional work on themselves but um at the end of the day it's uh, just you know it's 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 a bit ridiculous um the allocations are updated every every two years and uh, i've talked about how it's kind of ridiculous how it works um this time um they with the allocations they've asked schools to keep the clusters they have and any other any additional hours now create new clusters so it's becoming very layered and very messy 
and I really hope um, they sort it out. But I think ultimately the reason it's all layered and messy is because the Department of Education just throw out the hours from an algorithm and they don't care after that what happens. So I would absolutely recommend their uh, recommendation before that the Department of Education should take over the allocation uh, clustering of uh, schools for uh, additional posts and it would work out uh, a lot better. So number five uh, moves on to special schools um, and it's allocate adequate supports to special schools. Um, we're half an hour into the post, we're kind of halfway through um, our recommendations. I, we've always been asked when we've ever done surveys, uh, we get a lot of um, uh, I suppose complaints is probably the wrong word, but special schools feel left out. Um, there, there's a, a, a few. Uh, there's there's quite a number of special schools, and and generally when there's surveys out, a lot of the questions that are out there just don't um, aren't relevant to special schools. They're quite niche in a way. Uh, they they have their own particular model, and. Um, and, and, and some of the things that we take for granted don't happen in special schools. So we uh, got a special school uh, principal to come up with questions around additional educational needs, which is pretty much their business, and uh, find out what their, what their feelings were. And unsurprisingly, um, they do not receive adequate supports either. It's not just us mainstream schools that don't get adequate supports. And 82% of special school principals surveyed stated their uh, SNA provision is insufficient, um, which is of grave concern, um, absolutely. 60% of special schools um, have had an exceptional review in the last five years. Um, and in 90% of the cases of those reviews, they received no increase in support, despite the fact that almost all of them said that they had an increase in needs. So this is really, really, really interesting. Um, 41% of the principals reported that a child with obvious and severe needs uh, that was due to enrol in their school uh, was refused access to an SNA, which is quite shocking as well. And 70.5% of principals reported that they felt a child or a staff member was in danger where a particular child was refused access to SNA provision. I mean, they're just stark figures uh, from those questions. I mean, special schools basically need to be adequately supported in order to carry out their work. Um, and uh, from what we got we, uh, from, the, from special schools, they listed the following. And I like when people send bullet points and I'm going to read them. Certainty around special school status because there is a threat to special schools. This is in light of the new Brunswick model that it seems to have petered away quietly. But there was at the time um, a major threat that all special schools would be closed down in favour of this full inclusion model, which is not the school inclusion model, by the way, despite the similar sounding names, that all children, no matter what their need, were going to be uh, taught within um, regular school, regular mainstream, whatever, uh, schools and special schools are basically going to close down. So they need certainty around their status. Special school status needs to be protected in law. They don't want to just be said they want it protected in law. That's interesting. Uh, I wouldn't have thought of, you know, this, uh, for example. Uh, dedicated teacher to liaise between mainstream schools, families and special schools. That's very interesting. There isn't really a link between special schools and their mainstream schools. And that's kind of interesting. They want that link. Dedicated training and leave a guaranteed substitute cover for staff to attend training prior to taking up positions in special schools. Yeah, I, I, I mean, we have special classes in our school and the teacher that actually takes on those classes doesn't, isn't allowed to get training until they're in the class, which makes no sense. Provision of dedicated support teams in support of special schools, so spe uh, spe speech language therapy, OT and so on. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, dedicated NCSE section for special schools. Very, very, very interesting. Flexibility for teachers to engage with teacher exchanges. Uh, that's a good idea. And, um, you know, I, I think that uh, is a very interesting um, idea generally in, in education, there should be ways where teachers can exchange um, much more easily, whether it's between special schools and mainstream schools, educate together schools and let's say denominational schools where someone might want a flavour of it, uh, of an educated kid schools, or even moving from rural to uh, urban schools, that sort of thing. Uh, but in a special schools contact, that's interesting. And automatic administrative status for principals and deputy principals in all special schools. Absolutely, I think that makes sense. Um, the report goes on to explain why special schools need um, to to be part of the um, of the um, of the infrastructure of, of education, and uh, absolutely, um, it, it, it would seem to me uh, that this makes a lot of sense. Sometimes a special school is, um, while it might not sound. Um, particularly, you know, some some people would say it might not sound um, inclusive, but. What is inclusive about sending a child into a, a mainstream setting when their needs uh, do not allow for 
the, 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 can't be catered for. I mean, I suppose that's probably what I'm trying to say. You you can't expect to throw a child into a into a classroom of thirty children who may have sensory difficulties and and things like that, and expect them to flourish without giving the supports that they need. Sometimes a child with additional needs, especially with sensory uh, difficulties, needs a small space, a small room with fewer people, uh, fewer distractions. And so and that's just one example. I mean, there's plenty of other examples uh, of, of why, why, why would you say that mainstream is the only option, you know, or our version of mainstream is the only option. There's lots and lots of uh, things. So there's loads um, here, really, that um, are um, in this section that I think is, is very interesting. And, um, you know, I, I, I think it's, it's well worth considering. And we also have to realise the special classes, just, just one last thought on this, and this is in the report, half the principals in mainstream schools with special classes report that their special classes aren't appropriate sometimes for children with severe, particularly with severe needs. Special, special classes are not as well equipped. I'm not saying special schools are better equipped, but that they, they have particular specializations that special classes don't have. Effectively, in most schools, and this is, you know, why uh, we'll be moving on later on about Section 37A, um, most uh, schools with special classes, it's just two classrooms with, that's it, uh, with no extra resources. It's teacher and two SNAs. That's the resource. That's it. There's nothing else. Um, and and often in very, very small, um, inappropriate settings as well. And there's no magic in a special class. There's no OT. There's no SLT. There's no um, anything. It's just a smaller class um, with a couple of extra staff and nothing more. So just just um, worth considering. Let's move on to uh, number six because we're coming up to um, uh, we have three more six, seven, eight, nine. So we have four more to do. Uh, the NCSE needs to investigate all SNA allocation appeals in a timely manner. Now that sounds like. What, what kind of a recommendation is that if you read the headline? Um, interestingly, things over the last few years when it comes to applying for resources with the NCSE have taken a turn for the red tape uh, in, 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 in a shocking amount of way. Now, I always talk about when I was looking for resources back in the day, um, you, would, you might fill out one form and you get your resources or you might call the, S- the CINO and the CINO will come and you'd get your resources or some resources if you thought you're, you know, you'd have a conversation and you'd get the resources. According to this report, um, if a school is not able to meet the needs of their pupils with their allocation, they're entitled to make an appeal. Okay, so we know that and there's nothing in it. So why is that the first sentence? But during 2021, there has been no official mechanism made available for making an appeal due to the transition from this current model to a proposed um, front-loading model and consequently no applications uh, for SNA, extra SNA allocations have been accepted for months at the time of this report and it seems to have continued. Now since to the, so that's just a, 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 you know, I don't know, it's an opening paragraph to set a bit of a context to now but let's go back to 2016. If a school requires additional set hours it has to f- uh, submit an application to review its current allocation and the process can take several months. Any pupil receiving SNA access has to have a personal pupil profile, including a plan for how the SNA is supporting the care needs. Asino reviews these plans when considering the school's current allocation, and, in, and according to the MPF survey, the NCSE rarely increases the allocation. And in fact, almost 40% of appeals sent in by principals surveyed, it was reported that the schools informed that their allocation would remain the same. Now, this is the killer here. Before, without any visit from the Asino. So 40% of appeals that were sent in, they didn't even bother sending the CNO in to investigate it. They just basically said no. They didn't even look. 40%, 4 out of 10 applications for an increased SNA provision, they just went no, we're not doing it. We're not even going to send someone in to check. So despite the fact that schools go to, I mean, you wouldn't believe the lengths that schools go to to get this appeal. I mean, it is, it is an inordinate amount of paper and time the, 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 when they send this in, how stressful is it that what you get back is a one-page letter, basically, you know, don't even get a visit saying, sorry, nothing, go away, you know? It, it, amazing. It, it, it's actually amazing. Um, and, you know, I, I, I look at the report and I'm kind of going, you know, this, this is shocking. And I, I look to my own experience in my own school and, and kind of say, yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of what happens, really. You know, it's... It's 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 nuts. But worse, 
I think, uh, and this isn't in the report, is if you do get the visit from the CINO now. Now, back in back before 2016, the CINO would come in and they would say, OK, OK, yeah, 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 I recommend, you know, let's say two additional posts, <laughs> if that ever happens, and you get two additional posts. Now, the CINO could go away from, your, uh, from you and say, I recommend two additional posts. But they don't make the decision anymore. Some faceless bureaucrat somewhere takes that recommendation and you won't get your two additional posts. They'll just basically, whatever the CINO recommends, you'll get, you might get half of it. From what I can gather, anecdotally what I've heard, you're getting a half of what you apply for. For no reason. The CINO will recommend, let's say, two posts and you'll get one. For no reason. For absolutely no reason. Um, you know, this is what's happening uh, on the ground. Things, we have to have transparency here. You know, this, this, is, this, is, this isn't just you know, me shooting, you know, shooting off. This is happening. And I, I just can't understand how it's how it's being allowed. And um, I, I would say of all the recommendations here for me, this is a shocking one that we, we now have, our system has gone to, to so badly that when you apply for resort, extra resources, someone who doesn't know anything about you is making the decision. And they are in basically all say basically giving you um not what you not what you're looking for they're giving you less than what you need i, I don't know i don't know it's amazing let's move on to number seven continue the pause of the front loading model to allow for more consultation before implementation now look uh the, the terminology of this was deliberately picked and i i i, I will claim, claim put my hands up and say i'm guilty of this title um when we were writing the report this, I, I joke about this pause, you know, this nonsense that the, uh, the INTO and the IPPN and the rest of them, when, when this front-loading model was about to be launched last year, just before COVID, um, the INTO and the IPPN issued separate statements and coincidentally said, we'd like a pause of a year on the front-loading model, rather than basically saying, you know what, can you go away with this front-loading model? Go away, come back to us when you have a decent model. No, can we have a pause on it? As if just pausing it for a year is going to make a hell of any, any bit of a difference. Um, ultimately, what I what, what this is really saying is, uh, allow for more kinds of consultation before you implement this. This front loading model is terrible. It's terrible for schools. It's it's reckless and it's terrible. And you know, short of the uh, and, and and the shocking awfulness of it is that with because of this, the year has passed and COVID has passed. The people who were vehemently against now have, have somehow softened their stance and they're saying, oh, yeah, a lot of schools like it now. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's quite good now. And they don't know if that's true because they haven't asked. But the National Principals Forum did. They asked principals, are you in favour of this front-loading model? And, do you know, the answer to that question, <laughs> basically, was that um, the, the, it was, was actually quite shocking. It wasn't. Uh, the, the most shocking thing wasn't that people were in favour of it or not in favour of it. But the fact was that two out of three principals don't know much about it. I don't know how that principles... I, I have to say I'm given out now about principles. How do you not know about this model? Um, it's, it's amazing. It is shocking that people wouldn't know. This is the biggest thing that is happening to schools. Every school. This isn't just like small schools or religious schools or non-religious or whatever. This is every school is going to have this model where children are going to suffer. And 67% of principals said we did we just don't really know much about it. You know? Of the people that did know much about it, 90% of them were not in favour of the model. I don't know what's wrong with the 10% of people that said they were, but I do actually, because the report actually looked into that. Um, and um, and basically, it, uh, it, it this, the very small number of uh, principles that were in favour of the model, effectively, it seems that um, of, of those, 40% of those people uh, were in favour of the model because it, it, because it suited their school particularly. So either they were losing numbers um, or um, and they were going to retain their allocation. So a completely self-centered kind of re response to it. It's a may I, I I learned a lot from this, and I'm sorry, this is me speaking, not the National Principals Forum. In terms of this, I was uh, I was quite surprised. But the ninety percent of people anyway um, who um, who basically did. Um, who are against this uh, model basically uh, have, have stated because they don't trust that the model will increase resources. In fact, they know it won't and it's going to make things even worse. Um, 
And 70% of principals already report they don't believe they're going to have adequate SNA support in 21-22. That's before the front-loading model comes in. And guaranteed, if the front-loading model does come in, which it seems that it will, um, given that the majority, the vast majority of principals already don't think they're going to have enough support, and given that we think the front-loading model is basically going to say, this is what you're going to have what you have uh, right now, 70% of schools are going to be under-resourced. And what are you going to do? What can you do? So effectively, yeah, I mean... We have to stop this front-loading model. We can't, I mean, we have to stop it. Is it too late? I don't know. But um, anyway, that is one of the key recommendations. We'll see what happens. Uh, recommendation number eight is, to re- is, the, is the one that kind of, you know, I suppose it, 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 it garnered, I suppose, the most social media interaction. And, and, and naturally it garnered, you know, people... People love headlines, but they don't look into them. And so they, they come up, they get the headline and they go off and go, oh, this is how, this is what principals think of children with additional needs. For those of you who don't know what Section 37A of the Education Act did, it is a new law that came in in 2018 where the Minister for Education now has the power to compel a school to open a special class. Um, and yeah, you know, and 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 basically it, it, it means that uh, schools can be forced to open special classes against their will. Now, despite the protests and despite um, everything else, there are very, very few schools in this country that would not open a special class if they could. Okay, I mean, despite all the challenges. Now, the narrative that has been pumped out by certain groups and certain teachers um, is that schools just don't want to have children with additional needs. So we know that's not true. Um, So what we decided to do was we only asked the question, do you think the Department of Education should be able to force schools to open special classes? We only asked that question to schools that voluntarily opened up special classes. So these are people who are in favour of opening special classes. Not people who haven't opened them, not people who um, um, who are against opening or anything else or, or, or have been forced to open them, people who chose to open special classes. Now, that's a very, I think, a very, very interesting fact um, because obviously if these, if these schools uh, were against children with additional needs, they wouldn't have opened the special classes uh, in the first place. So I think that's very, very interesting. Um, so let me look at the uh, look at the, the reasons uh, from the survey. There's, they stated the following reasons were not not to open special force open classes. There's inadequate inadequate funding. Sixty six percent of people believe there is inadequate funding. I would be one of those sixty six percent. Their classes are unsuitable for moderate or severe needs. Fifty one and one and two. Fifty fifty. Regular aggressive behaviors. One and two again. And what ninety nine percent of principals reported was the lack of support for staff absences. Almost all principals said that was the case. Um, that's very, very interesting. And, you know, what it says, uh, you know, the, 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 what principals have sort of said was, here's a quote, there's a huge range of difficulties in our special class. Five out of six children there do not belong in mainstream special class. Without doubt, they need a special school with access to the interventions needed. My staff in the special class are on the verge of taking stress leave. And the, you see, the thing is, special classes originally were for, uh, are, were, were for children that would, uh, the aim was that they would within very, very quickly, within a year or two, would be able to integrate fully into a mainstream class. It was a stepping stone in a way from being in a special school to a, a mainstream school. However, the NCSE have, um, in, you know, have, so basically, I mean, suppose the, the, the children going to these special classes effectively just need a little boost um, to be able to, to be in mainstream classes. So effectively, most of their day should have been in, in, a, in a mainstream class with the support of a room that they could go to for parts of the day to, to, to keep it up. It was never meant to be there as a separate entity. And unfortunately, that's what it's become in the vast majority of cases, where you have lots of children who will not uh, be able to enter a mainstream setting, and that's not a, a scourge or anything like that on, on these the, the, these children. These children, uh, maybe one day, um, you know, might um, might be able to go to a, a mainstream setting, but initially not. 
And what there needs to be is better linkage between the special school, the special classes, and then the mainstream. Because you see, you could get a child to boost the early intervention in a special school where they have the where they have the resources. When they're able, when they're nearly there for mainstream, they can move into these special classes and then move into the into the mainstream. This this would make sense rather than lumping a child with significant needs into a, into a special class in a mainstream setting and sitting there for their entire eight years without ever entering a mainstream setting or even just without a hope of entering a mainstream setting. It's not fair um, on these children, uh, on, on, on these children who, who, who need the right interventions. And because special classes don't differentiate, and I'm going back to the report here, between children with a mild diagnosis and those with more severe diagnoses, um, there was a respondent that stated that it's impossible to balance the academic needs of children who have a mild diagnosis with the life skills and intensive one-to-one teaching of children with much greater needs. And the NCSE don't care as long as the bums are on seats. And many principals reported that children with moderate needs are receiving no support from occupational therapists or speech and language therapists, and almost 50% of principals reported regular aggressive behaviours. However, the most notable statistic here was despite all of these schools having open special classes, the high majority believe that no school should be compelled to open a special class. Now, uh, the MPF asked uh, respondents for reasons why this would be, and uh, here are the four uh, responses, four main responses. We set up two classes with no support from the DES apart from the one soft grant. Um, uh, I, and basically we've spent forty-five in excess of €45,000, which we've had to beg, borrow and steal from others to get basic resources required, so it was a financial reason. The absence of a coherent collaborative structured approach to adequately address the needs of children, a multi-agency approach removes responsibility, and hence workload is carried out at school level. Yeah, I mean, that speaks for itself. Uh, number three, I've spent most of my time, including holidays this year, dealing with issues arising from the special class. Uh, so workload. Our sc- for our school nearly doubled in size due to the new uh, due to our new early intervention preschool building. Heating, electricity, insurance also doubled. Grants should reflect the size of the building and not just the number of children. Only twelve children in this part of school. So financial again. And um, so very very interesting recommendations uh, really here. And effectively, I suppose what what they're saying is that you need. You know, the the Department of Education need to stop this nonsense of pitting parents against schools, pitting, um, pitting people against each other. We really, really need to make sure that uh, that this is done properly and planned and that the right supports are going to the right places. Finally, um, we move on to the next one. We're at 52 minutes, so we'll probably get to the hour mark here. Uh, and this is the one, I suppose, which I think is the headline, which is basically to restructure the NCSE. Uh, if I was in charge of the, uh, if I was in charge of this report, I would have said dismantle the NCSE. But we went with restructure the NCSE. And basically, the national principles were recommends a full review of the NCSE takes place, and a new child-centered system of allocating resources takes place for the need, with the needs of the child being followed from early years all the way through to the end of the student's schooling. Students should have access to supports for whatever needs are recommended by an educational psychologist. The current moves towards front-loading supports do not take individual children into consideration. Now, um, basically, after that, it talks about the uh, NCSE and who they are and what they're supposed to do. Um, And uh, they talked about them being formed because of the Epson Act, which is still amazingly hasn't been fully implemented. Um, In fact, it's, it's, you know, it's been... All the bits which cost money are not being implemented, basically, um, and it's it, it the, the document goes through what those what those things are, um, and basically the NCSE have moved from addressing individual school needs to an overall top-down allocation model with this front-loading thing and the asset model, and it's placed the administration of resources for pupils with ed- additional educational needs on the shoulders of principals who neither have the authority nor the remit to allocate resources to their own schools, despite knowing exactly what they need to support their pupils, most especially pupils with additional educational needs. Now, the respondents to the survey were emphatic in their opinion as to whether the entire structure of the NCSE must be looked at. Now, we asked uh, principals, it's a very, you know, kind of rudimentary uh, thing to do, but to score the NCSE service from 0 to 10. The average score is 3.98, which is a lot higher than I would have given them. But 4 out of 10 is nothing to be proud of. Um, And that's from 500 principals. 
two people gave 10 out of 10 to the NCSC. So if the NCSC are listening to this podcast, seek out those two schools. They love you. Um, but the rest of the responses were less than favourable. Um, now, they don't give, that score doesn't give a lot of insight to the success of the agency. Really, 4 out of 10 is still a pass um, in the leaving cert, let's say. But comments relating to the NCSC's performance indicate that principals believe the NCSC needs to be accountable and also needs a restructure. It's interesting, just as an aside, to note the NCSC are not accountable to anybody. Uh, it's very If you have a complaint um, about special education provision in your school, the NCSC are not accountable for it. They're actually not accountable at all. They have, you know, you cannot complain about the NCSE at all. There's nowhere to say, you, if you wanted to sue the NCSE, there'd be no mechanism for it. Um, it's really, really interesting. They are absolutely um, free from that, uh, free from accountability. They basically, here's the resources, and who gets the blame if you want to complain? Individual boards of management. Um, so the NCSE actually have no, uh, no accountability. And 82% of respondents basically uh, said the entire structure of the NCSE needs to be looked at. Guess how many people said no? It wasn't the 18%. 2% said no. And 15% have no opinion on the matter, which, I mean, I can't believe you wouldn't have an opinion on the matter. But anyway, um, people are entitled to not have an opinion. Um, so uh, the, uh, the report goes on saying, refusing access to relevant support to children based on bureaucratic reasons is a common reason uh, reported by principals. 58% reporting they've had a pupil with obvious and severe needs being refused an SNA on a minor bureaucratic technicality rather than actually their needs. And I stated earlier that almost 40% of appeals sent in by principals, report, where the report was that the school was informed that their allocation would remain the same without any investigation whatsoever. There's clearly a demonstration. Uh, this is like this is clearly a demonstration of a model of bureaucracy rather than one that is needs based. Uh, we asked uh, uh, just a, a quote here uh, from from a principal. Where do we start with the NCSE? Dealing with the NCSE for one is uh, is is shocking. It's been one of the most frustrating parts of my role as a principal. Comments from principals from time to, uh, time uh, sorry principals uh, comments from principals time and time again report increasing frustrations of the NCSE erecting unnecessary barriers to schools applying for support for children with additional education needs. It is noting uh, sorry it's nothing new to see a recommendation from an educational psychologist urging the need to uh, for significant SNA support and for the NCSE to simply disregard the recommendation from the psychologist. And that's not today or yesterday. It's been happening for a long time. However, principals report further issues with the NCSE. Here's another quote. The NCSE looks at numbers only but does not take into account the reality on the ground. Some children need some SNA support. Others need full-time one-to-one SNA contact all day, every day. Absolutely. And they do not look at that. Um, the uh, National Principals Forum could talk about the New Brunswick model that was about to come in. What has been quietly dropped, we do need to mention it uh, in the report because while it's gone away right now, there is a suspicion that that's going to rear its ugly head again. Um, it, you know, it's an awful, awful idea. And in fact, even New Brunswick now, after all their bluffing about it and how great it was and 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 all that kind of stuff, they've uh, they've since sort of said, mm, actually, no, this was a really bad idea in the end, and they're actually reversing it. Um, so that's very interesting as well. But for you know, it would not surprise me if the Department of Education still took on uh, the New Brunswick model in Ireland, uh, lauding it uh, for human rights as they were uh, trying to laud it in New Brunswick, despite the fact it was absolutely a ridiculous model that was never going to work and rightly was lambasted by the majority of people. Um, you know, I, I think uh, the, 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 the uh, NPF go on a little bit about um, how when it comes to special education, the Department of Education rarely talk about children. They talk about budgets and um, that's and that's very interesting I suppose and true so really they're the nine recommendations uh, we're coming up to the hour mark and uh, they come the MPF come to a conclusion which basically summarizes everything that people have uh, been saying um, and uh, effectively um, you know effectively thanking all the principles that came came uh, came up with the recommend uh, with their uh, survey results um, I, I must say I'm very proud to have been part of this survey um, I think the results it's a very well put together uh, document it's very easy to read um, it's uh, it, it puts things out in stark 
uh, fairly starkly, but it's it's all there. It's it's all there to read. Um, you can find it on principalforum.org, uh, principalsforum.org, um, and uh, you know I'm sure the MPF would welcome any comments. They've been posting on social media all week uh, various facts from the from the report, and uh, effectively I think it is it is it is a story that needs to be taken up. From a personal point of view, um, I I think uh, this report alongside actually the the report from Maynooth University about principal welfare and well-being uh, this week needs to be taken together and various agencies there's a lot of agencies around I I was talking about how tangled the education system is like Christmas decorations there's so many different agencies with single uh, agendas you know you've got all the various uh, as I am's inclusion Ireland down Down syndrome Ireland you've Gareth Noble the, uh, the solicitor you've got all these people around who all have these kind of Agendas and they're it's fine. I, I you know that's absolutely uh, fine to have 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 single agendas and all that kind of stuff. The National Principles Forum obviously has has an agenda. Glore has an agenda. The IPPN, I mean, it's a bigger organisation, but also has an agenda. Uh, the INTO, I mean, the the, the colossus of these uh, uh, Quang, you know, sorry, Quangos Union is is obviously a um, uh, has an agenda. But I mean. Uh, looking at the very small, like the INTO and the IPPN, let's say, are, are big, the big fish. They're the big boys. They're the chicken dinners people. They're the ones that are making the decisions. They have the seat at the table of the Department of Education. They have chosen to have a relationship with them that, where they don't challenge them for anything. The NCSE is also at that table. There are a lot of small groups who are very unhappy with these people um, who are sitting at a table eating their roast chicken dinners and saying how great, thing, how great things are and how wonderful everything is. And there's, but the problem is, for all, for every IPPM, there is about three NPFs. For every INTO, there's about five splinter groups of that. For every um, NCSE, there's about 20 uh, special education need um, agencies. What has to happen is they all need to get together with a common goal. And I think if we focus on special education needs from this particular one, if all of these agencies got together, and we're talking about um, agencies that advocate for uh, for children with additional needs, we're talking about principal groups who uh, uh, who, who, who want to uh, talk about that side of the deal. We want to talk about teacher groups who want to talk from their perspective. We want to talk about from children's, or, uh, children's rights perspective, the ombudsman, all these people, they need to get in on this. And they need to come together to demand that the supports for children with additional education needs are given. The EPSON Act needs to be fully implemented so the Department of Education and the government need to ensure that enough resourcing is put in to help children. Now the nine recommendations the National Principals Forum have recommended are very, very simple and they could be done tomorrow. And I think if uh, if there's anything, um, if, if nothing else, you really should have, a little, uh, should have a read of this, have a look at the statistics, Come on board and and join in this uh, fight in some way. Um, if you're just a principal in a school and you're struggling, why not? Um, if I, mean, I know it's very hard to have the energy to fight this kind of thing, but any little bit of help that you can give groups like the National Principals Forum, I'm sure, would be welcome. Um, you know uh, uh, what what you might be able to do for your school could help lots of other schools. If you try and try try a little bit, you know, if you can try to think outside of your own school and its needs and think about the big picture of how we're all suffering together and that collegiality, like what you are suffering in your school is happening for lots of other principals around you. And if we could all come together and not be afraid to stand up against the apathy uh, that's out there, you know, things can happen. Things can happen. And... Um, for my message to the stakeholders, this is another report that we know is going to be ignored completely as if it doesn't exist. And, you know, bully for you. Ignoring is great. First they ignore you, then they la- then they laugh at you, then they fight you and then you win. But like, you know, that's that's what's going to happen. At some point, it's going to catch up on these groups who um, who, who are, are sitting there. Um, not listening to groups uh, of, of principles. Things are, you know, the, the one thing that's inevitable, I mean, change is inevitable, um, as they say. And uh, I hear, here am I with all the cliches coming out now. You need to make sure that um, schools, 
uh, that the people that are paying your wages are looked after. And at some point, if that doesn't happen, a group is going to come along. The IPPN and the INTO know, know, know this very, very well. When the INTO were not looking after the needs of principals um, in the early part of this century, uh, basically in the, in the late 90s, the IPPN came along and they were ruffling the feathers of the INTO, so much so that the INTO were trying to shut them down at every opportunity. And at some point, the IPPN gathered enough people and enough uh, momentum and they were able to get um, that voice of principles onto the agenda. Sadly, they've decided uh, to become gentrified and not be the thorn in the side of the, of the very people who are trying to shut them down. And in a way, sadly, they've uh, found themselves um, to be part of the system they were trying to challenge. Um, and effectively, the groups like the National Principles Forum, groups like GLOR, groups like um, the various other bodies that are out there, they are they 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 may become those you know what the future may be them and it's it's kind of I don't know it's kind of interesting we we will see what happens look I mean well done uh, I I don't like saying I, it's kind of weird saying well done to the National Principles Forum because I I, I was I was part of this this particular report but I mean I I want to say well done to to the to the group of people this this is a huge amount of effort. Um, it, 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 the, the, any free time that was there, and there wasn't much of it, um, to was 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 made uh, basically was pulled together to make this report. Um, it's it's a genuinely, I, I think it's an impressive effort, and it needs to be looked at. It needs to be read, and um, please, if you if you if you read it and like it, pass it on to another principal, to um to a TD, to um your INTO. Uh, representative in your branch pass it on that's what you should do I think so look I don't know if I have any more to say I've gone over the hour uh, sorry about that uh, but um, I hope uh, this has been a good um, bit of time uh, an hour and a half in total if you include the first part and um, listen thank you for listening to it um, and uh, hope it was of some use so that is it for this lengthy poetry reading. Um, not much poetry, um, no jokes really in it. It's a very serious issue. Um, if you've enjoyed this uh, episode, we'll be going back to normal very soon. Uh, I'm looking forward to doing a special episode on the on um, basically schools after COVID-19. What would you keep? What would you uh, get rid of? That's coming very soon, but hopefully we'll get to uh, do some normal episodes over the next coming um, weeks ahead. Listen, that's all I have to say um, for now. Um, Looking forward to speaking to you again next week. All the best. Bye-bye.